Well, thank you, uh, Edmund. That was great. Um, it's great to be here, guys. Uh, I'm really excited about delving into this topic of laziness. Um, but we need the Spirit's help. We need the Spirit's help to understand the Scriptures and understand what it says. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the wisdom that is in it. I, I pray that as we consider what it means to die to laziness and rise to zeal, that you'd work in our hearts and minds so we can see uh, what your word says and see Christ more clearly and live in response to his good work. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, growing up, no one ever warned me just how much work there was to do in life. I, I don't know if it's the millennial in me, but yeah, no one ever, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it. When you're old enough to crawl, your parents are trying to get you to put your toys back into the toy box, and that sets up the pattern for the rest of your life, right? You go, to, you go to school at the age of five, five days a week, slogging through these tough school assignments until you're 18. And don't get me started on the chores, right? You, you like, like your parents trying to nag you to, to get your jobs done, to, to clean your room, to mow the lawns, to do the dishes, and the work's only just begun at that point, because once you finish school, you go off to uni, right? You, those, those innocent school projects turn into these brutal assignments, right? And, and exams as well. And if you think uni's hard, try holding down a nine to five. Sorry to say uni church, nine to five is hard work. And it's not just our careers that are hard work. Relationships re require hard work too. Trying to keep our social lives intact amongst all of that. Dating and marriage takes work. Thankfully, like, I've got a kid on the way. I've heard that raising kids is a breeze, so we're, we're good. <laughs> Why do we have such a distaste for work? Some of you right now are probably thinking, why are we even talking about work, right? It's the weekend. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about work. And in fact, the Bible reveals God himself as a worker. Not only do we see in Genesis that God works by creating the universe, but he works by sustaining the universe too. Work is a good thing because God himself is a worker. Genesis also tells us that, um, that we've been created in the image of God to reflect the God who works, right? Uh, Genesis 1.28 says this, Adam and Eve are to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. God gives Adam and Eve the responsibility of cultivating the earth, of taking dominion over God's creation. We're designed to work because we're designed after a God who works. And just as planes are designed to fly, humans are designed to work. There's a show called The Good Place, uh, which my wife and I uh, love to watch. It kind of explores what the afterlife would look like from a kind of secular worldview. And in this afterlife, there's no God, but there is a supercomputer called Janet. And as a reward for getting into The Good Place, the supercomputer grants you whatever you want for all of eternity, right? So if you ask for a, like a chocolate milkshake, it'll appear in your hand. If you if you ask to be sitting in, in Fiji, sipping on cocktails, you'll, you'll be transported there. But think about that for a second. Think about never having to exert any effort in anything, getting whatever you want for all of eternity. It would be a disaster. 
Maybe some of you are thinking, it actually sounds more like a paradise, but, but in the good place, they actually become miserable. They never have to exercise their mind. They never have to exercise their body. They never exert any effort in anything. They're never creative. And so their minds start to switch off. Their, their, their brains start to turn to mush. Once they, once they live for any, any more than a few years in the good place, they start to become these kind of subhuman, glassy-eyed, laziness, zombie-type things. It's not pretty. What was meant to be a utopia in the good place turns out to be quite the opposite. Because humans are lazy. We don't like work. There's something in the human condition that dislikes work. But the Bible says that work isn't just a necessary evil. Work is a pattern set up by God in his good design to reflect the God who works. And unlike the good place, heaven will be a place of work. But it won't be the toil tainted by the curse of sin. It will be restful work. Work that we take pleasure in. We'll do things with our hands. and We'll work with our minds. Doing work that is satisfying and fulfilling. That serves others and that ultimately brings glory to God. Revelation 22 says, There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. Servants will, will be serving God. Work is not a consequence of the fall, but because of the fall, work becomes bitter and it becomes difficult. But it doesn't change the necessity of work or the goodness of work. The Bible challenges believers to do everything as for the Lord. Despite the, the, despite the difficulty of the work, we're to do it with all of our hearts and with the right attitude. Colossians 3.22 uh, says this, don't work while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. And work isn't just something that is limited to our careers. Uh, uh, work, um, in fact, you might be an, an A-plus student at uni and then come home and be a lazy flatmate. If you're a workaholic, this, this laziness sin, you don't think you get off the hook on it. Because laz- overworking leads to laziness in other areas of life. What is laziness? Laziness is the unwillingness to exert effort in something that ought to be done despite having the ability to do so. I, I will say it again. Laziness is the unwillingness to exert effort in what ought to be done despite having the ability to do so. Sometimes laziness is blatant, right? We, we all know the guy who is like 38 years old and he lives in his mum's basement and all he does day and night is play video games, right? Uh, and very rarely does he shower and so his fingers are kind of stained orange with, the, with uh, Dorito dust that have resided there and, and he washes those Doritos down with Mountain Dew. Right? That's the, that's the kind of modern archetype of laziness, right? Sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it's subtle. Because where pride, anger, envy, impurity, and gluttony are seen in what you do, laziness is seen in what you don't do. 
And that's why laziness is such an easy sin to fall into, because all you have to do to do it is do nothing at all. It's harder for us to be aware of something that we're not doing than the things we are doing. And so often when I come to confess my own sins before God, I can think of the times where I've been selfish, I've been greedy, but I often struggle to, to, to think of the times where I've evaded my responsibilities or I've been inactive. But the book of James makes it super clear. James 4 verse 17. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Friends, laziness like all sin is deadly. Well, I've heard if you want to be a good preacher, you have to have, uh, you have, to have alliteration in your, in your sermons. So I've got three C's for you today. I've got uh, the, the cause of laziness, the consequence of laziness, and the cure of laziness. Why are we lazy? What is the cause of laziness? You might be tempted to think that laziness is just caused by a lack of passion, you know, a, a lack of desire. But laziness is actually driven by a deep desire, a deep passion. Laziness is caused by a craving for comfort. Proverbs 21, uh, 25 verse 26 says this, A slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. He is filled with craving all day long, but the righteous give and don't hold back. Proverbs 13, the slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. What do lazy people crave? They crave comfort. And some of us don't think we're lazy because we're busy working hard, but we can kind of easily slip into this work-to-be-lazy mentality. Some of us go to work or uni uh, begrudgingly on a Monday, slogging through our assignments, through our work, and so we can kick up our feet on a Friday, take it easy, and be lazy for the weekend. Some of us work really hard in our careers, you know, getting really good jobs so we can make lots of money, so we can kick up our feet later on in life, live lavish lifestyles, and be lazy. Now, rest, rest is important too. That, that's a pattern set up by God before the fall. And, and there's a way to do godly rest well. But when laziness becomes our literal goal, we've missed God's purpose for us. So often, laziness is the goal for us. Duties are what we perform, but comfort is really what we crave. So where, where in your life does this craving for comfort lead to laziness? Is it in copious amounts of time on your phone? To be honest, that's something I need to work on. Is it in sleeping in so long that you miss your morning devotions? Is it not doing the best in whatever you do, whether it be work, your uni assignments, because it's just easier to be comfortable? I mentioned before that uh, when sin entered the world, work becomes difficult because of it. One of the curses laid upon man is that we work from the sweat of our brow and, and the ground is cursed or it fights back against us. And because of that, we don't want to put the hard work in. We prefer our comfort more than work. When I was doing research in the Bible about what laziness, uh, laziness is talked about in the Bible, I came across this passage in Proverbs 26.13. The slacker says, there's a lion in the road, a lion in the public square. 
I was initially like, what on earth is that talking about? A lion in the road? But the more I started to look at it, the more it started to make sense. The slacker in, in this proverb, the lazy person, he loves his comfort so much. He doesn't want to go to work. He just wants to stay in his PJs all day, watch Netflix, right? Play Minecraft, right? Um, he, he, you know, he, he's, he's, he's so um, engrossed in his comfort, but he knows that people are going to criticize him. And because of his distaste for work, he crafts these excuses. There's a lion in the road. I can't make it to work. There's Auckland traffic in the road, right? I can't make it to connect group. Uni is the lion that keeps me at, at, my, at my desk, and so I can't serve in church, or I can't clean the car, or I can't um, help out at the flat. We craft these excuses, and sometimes we, we craft such elaborate excuse, excuses that we start to believe them ourselves. I think, I think we have to examine ourselves whether the, the, the reasons that we come up with are genuine or whether we've created a lion. Proverbs 26, 16 says this, In his own eyes a slacker is wiser than seven who can answer sensibly. Right? That's, that's what happens when we, uh, when we create these excuses that we start to believe them. We start to think we're even wise. Right? And what's the result? Look at verse 14 and 15. A door turns on its hinges, and a slacker on his bed. A slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He is too wary to bring it to his mouth. It's kind of, I don't know, let's be honest, it's a, it's a little bit funny, right? It's a bit comical, right? A, a slacker who buries his hand in the bowl, but he's so lazy that he's too wary to bring it out, right? <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Anyone been there? Yeah, yeah maybe not. Um, <laughs> the lazy person is hinged to their bed. He's hinged to their computer game. He's hinged to their work desk. It's self-destructive behavior. And it's, it's funny, but it's actually ultimately tragic. Sometimes, um, yeah, the, the real danger isn't the lion in the road that we make up in our minds. The real danger is the, lo the roaring lion, the devil, who lulls us into a love of comfort. And the devil loves it when we're lazy because we become self-destructive. It becomes destructive of relationships and ultimately it becomes destructive of your relationship with God because you're not living how God has designed you. We become like those glassy-eyed, subhuman laziness zombies in the good place. But when Jesus took on flesh, when he became human, there were times uh, that he had to do things that were uncomfortable for him. One of those things was dying a humiliating, painful death on a cross and bearing the wrath of God. But as he saw the task laid out for him, he praised this prayer. Matthew 26. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And we can learn from Jesus' example by, by going to work tomorrow and, and, and saying to God, God, this is really hard, but what is your will in it? How can I serve my colleagues? How can I serve my boss? How can I serve my flatmate, my neighbor, my family, even though sometimes it can be really hard? How can I do it as something done for you? Yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Jesus tells us to carry our cross daily, to suffer for his sake, and that means pushing through the discomfort, even when things are hard. But what happens when we give in to this worldly comfort? What are the consequences of laziness? I I signed up to the gym a few months ago, and I've uh, probably been about two or three times. And uh, anyone else donating to their local gym? Yeah, maybe just me. Part of the reason we struggle with with something simple like going to the gym is we know that we have to push through the discomfort. But I want to tell you that growth happens Personal growth happens when you get uncomfortable. This is true physically. This is true in the business world. Growth happens when you get uncomfortable. When, when I was younger, I used to love practicing guitar. You know, I'd work really hard at it. There were some times where I didn't want to, right? But I, I pushed through while other friends were you know, hanging out playing games. I was maybe being a little bit nerdy and practicing guitar. Um, but I saw the fruit of my labor. I started to get you know, reasonably good. But when I went off to uni, I started to kind of rely on my, my uh, talent from my, from my young age, the hard work that I'd put in earlier. My laziness led to some pretty, some pretty dark places. I, I stopped going to church. I stopped uh, reading my Bible. And not only that, I, I, I discovered the enticing world of entertainment, YouTube, Netflix, Gaming, Call of Duty. I can't imagine how many hours I wasted in front of a TV screen. I didn't fail at uni, but I didn't, succeed. I didn't exceed. I, I didn't kind of, that C's get degrees was my mantra, right? I got into, I started delving, delving into this laziness. I started getting into drinking, I started to become the self-destructive person like in Proverbs. And while other, Christian, while other mates that were Christian were, were thriving in their jobs, thriving in their spirituality, I was there just doing really average. I wasn't pushing myself. I was comfortable. I wasn't growing. The consequence of laziness is stunted growth. If we're going to do anything great in this life, If we're going to do any good in this world, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take sacrifice, and it's going to take discipline. We need to get this idea out of our mind that we should only exert effort in something if if we're passionate about it. Stop believing the lie in our culture that says, if it's not easy or if if it doesn't come naturally to you, then you shouldn't have to do it. You might not like your job. You might not like a paper at uni, but be awesome at it. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord. But the most important consequence of laziness is stunted spiritual growth. It seems to me that we often kind of have this negative view of what it means to be godly. As if godly means, uh, godliness means just not doing certain things, right? We're aware of the, the uh, wrong things we shouldn't do. There's a list of seven on there. But much more aware than the right things we should do. God's people should delight in doing right. We might be tempted to think that we're godly because we don't do this or that. You know, I don't drink too much. I don't, uh, I don't lie, cheat, or steal. But what about the godly things you're not doing? Are we doing enough just to make us feel like good Christians? You know, some of us might turn, to, turn up to church to kind of get our, our weekly sense of spirituality. 
and, and uh, you know, our weekly sense of conviction and then go home and do nothing about it. If you're, if you're here, here tonight as a Christian just not doing this or that and just waiting until Jesus comes back without doing anything positive, without getting work done for the Lord, you've got a half-baked view of Christianity and you end up idle. There's a massive danger in idleness because it leads to whinging on the sidelines, busy pointing out what everyone else is doing wrong, but never getting busy doing what's right. You might not lie or cheat or swear or murder, but you never encourage, you never get involved, you never share the gospel that much. This is why the series is not just dying, but rising with Christ. Not just dying, but rising to godliness. Dying to sin is essential. We need to identify parts of our lives that are sinful, that are not living within God's will. But real godliness is turning from old priorities to new priorities. Not just dying to sin, but rising with Christ. Ephesians uh, 4 kind of helps us uh, sum this idea up. Verse 20 says this. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness, and righteousness and purity of truth. Some of us have this illusion that one day we're, we're going to wake up and the, the Holy Spirit's going to pull back the covers and pick us up out of bed and carry us to the table. And he's going to put a nice kind of well-brewed espresso coffee there for us while we have our morning devotions. And it's just going to be this rich time, right? Like, like the Holy Spirit's going to be teaching you like this word in the Greek is like this. And it's, 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 you know, and it's, it's going to be this amazing time. And if if you enjoy your morning devotions, that's great. But sometimes it's a grind. Sometimes it's hard work, knowing and loving the scriptures. Prayer and Bible reading are called spiritual disciplines. They're disciplines because you wake up even when you don't feel like it. And you read your Bible when you don't feel like it. And you pray regardless of whether you feel like it or not. Some days you will enjoy it. But other days, it's a grind. The consequences of laziness is stunted growth, especially stunted spiritual growth. You're not going to grow unless you push through the discomfort. But how do we do that? In a world full of so many amazing comforts, the, the entertainment culture that we live in, a world full of comforts that have been unrivaled by any other society. How are we supposed to find zeal in pushing through discomfort? And how do we find zeal in things that are hard and godly living? Well, we all need to just go home and delete our Steam accounts, delete our Netflix accounts. No, 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 I'm not saying that. Don't delete your Steam account, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Add me, and we'll, we'll play some games together. And rest, for, for rest. <laughs> um, no, what we need is actually deep-rooted change in our hearts. 
we need new priorities. Self-help books like uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or 12 Rules for Life that might give you some helpful tips on, on discipline, but it's God by His Spirit who promises to make us alive in Christ when we're dead and helpless in sins. It's the Spirit who gives us new godly priorities. If, you, if you're here for the first time checking out Christianity, you might be thinking, mate, these Christians are hardcore. Like, they're all about, like, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. Or maybe you are one of those people, you try and live a, a pretty good life. I want to tell you that the central message of Christianity is that we were helpless in our so-called good works. And we needed God to save us. Ephesians 2 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. Friends, this is great news. None of us could ever work hard enough to somehow merit salvation. And the understandable inclination in a world full of false gospels is to, to, to say this, you know, we are saved by grace through faith. It's not, it's, it's not from works. But we often stop there. Verse 10 says this, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We're saved from sin for good works. But I, I said before that the craving of comfort is the cause of laziness. But paradoxically, the, the love of comfort is also the cure for laziness. How can it be both the cause and the cure? The difference is that the cure of laziness doesn't come from being hinged to our bed. The comfort that comes from binging a Netflix series or, or binging a game or um, overworking when you should be doing your responsibilities. It comes from the comfort that knowing that God has secured our salvation. But that comfort doesn't leave us lazy. That would be a lazy gospel. Godly comfort spurs us on to good works. Godly comfort leads us to a change of attitude and works. In the passage that was read out by Edmund um, earlier, Paul outlines the gospel, he, he, the fact that Jesus genuinely rose from the grave, right? He walked out of that tomb, and he even appeared to over 500 people. And this is written in history. Friends, this is not a myth. This is, this is real life. Jesus rose from the grave. It's amazing. It's a, it's a truth that will change your life. And it changed Paul's life. Look at 1 Corinthians. Last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Friends, when we consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God in the flesh would die and rise again for sinners like us, it makes us zealous to do good works. It makes us zealous to share the gospel with others. When I consider the sacrifice that Jesus made for his bride, the church, 
when I come home from a long day of work and, and want to kind of just chill on my phone, when, when I have the gospel in mind, it makes me want to lay down my life for my bride, my wife. Friends, it's the gospel that changes us. When, when we consider the gospel, we have gospel priorities. Uh, no longer will we be workaholics or, or doing things that are just comfortable, hinged to our desk at uni, or neglecting our responsibilities in other, li- in other areas of life but we will live and long to serve the God who has saved us. It's when we lose sight of the gospel, that's when we start to seek comfort, the the alluring comforts of the world. Titus 2.14 says this, He gave himself to redeem us, to redeem us from lawlessness and to cleanse himself for a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Christ gave himself. Christ died for the times that we sought the comforts of this world over him. He died to redeem us from our self-destructive patterns. He did it to cleanse us. Right? Christ didn't, um, he, he died for our sins, but he also died so we can live for righteousness. We are here um, because Christ has died for us. And that's going to lead us to be zealous for good works. Zealous for being productive. Zealous for loving our neighbor. Zealous for serving in church. I don't, I don't know what, what area um, you, got, you need to work on in laziness. But it's Christ and the gospel that spurs us on to good works. When I first started coming along to EV, one of the awesome things that I learned in Newish, um, which was talked about earlier, is that EV is not just a cruise ship. We're not just sipping here on, on, uh, we're sipping on cocktails until Jesus comes back. No, EV is here on mission. Now, that might look different for different people. God has given us all different gifts, and that's, a, and that's an awesome thing. But we each have to ask ourselves this question. Are we just a pew warmer here at church? Do you just come to, to get your, daily, your weekly dose of spirituality and then do nothing? Or are you using the days and the gifts that the Lord has given you to seek his kingdom and to, to see his kingdom go forward? As Christians, we have the greatest mission. Our Lord has commissioned us to share the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. If laziness is the unwillingness to do what we ought, it's the gospel that gives us the greatest ought. And when we start to die to laziness and rise to zeal because of the gospel, we'll even find joy. Not because somehow it's less demanding, but because we're working for what we're designed to do. And we start to live in line with what we've been saved to. So Uni Church, let's be a community of people that are eager to do good works, not seeking the comforts of this world, but zealous, zealous for serving one another, zealous for serving in church, zealous for uh, serving your neighbor, your family, working hard for the kingdom, and ultimately serving our God. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you so much for the amazing gospel that you've saved us to. 
Lord, for the times that we've been lazy, the, the times we've neglected our responsibilities, the times where we've loved the comforts of this world over loving you. Forgive us of that, Lord. Help us to live in light of the gospel and be zealous to see your kingdom go forward, to be zealous to serve one another. Lord, it is an amazing truth that we haven't been, we, we haven't been saved by our own works, but we've been saved by the precious blood of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that as we um, go in this week, we would identify parts in our lives that need to be um, laid down for you. God, give us the strength by your spirit to live with gospel priorities. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.